Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Office Hours. My name is Hope Bloom, and I'm a reporter for The Forum. Office Hours is a podcast series that gives us a chance to step inside the office of people in the Westminster community and hear about a topic that they specialize in. Today I'm here with psychology professor Jonathan Ambergie, and we are going to discuss some of the psychological implications of the weapons effect and implicit bias. Thank you for being here today, Jonathan. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me a little bit about what the weapons effect is and how implicit bias kind of plays into that? Yes. Um, So the weapons effect is a phenomenon that was originally uh, sort of uncovered, if you will, back in the late 60s. And it refers to a situation where when persons are in a high state of what we would call physiological arousal, so they have um, high sympathetic nervous system activity, um, and they're in the presence of an object that they associate um, with being a weapon or as causing some form of violence, so like a handgun, a firearm, a knife, even a baseball bat, um, that they are actually more prone to behave in aggressive behavior toward others than when that object is absent. Okay, and how does implicit bias kind of play into that idea? Yeah, so what sort of research in my field shows is that implicit bias, which is sort of your brain's um, mental associations of characteristics of persons based on groups that they're perceived to belong to. Um, Those biases are sort of like automatic reactions in memory that we have for the information about those persons that has the potential to actually influence a person's behavior toward a member of that group. Okay, and so what does implicit bias mean? For Everybody has them, right? Correct. What, what the sort of available science shows is that it's virtually impossible for any person to not have some form of bias toward a member of at least one or more groups. So then how do we work with that um, in our day-to-day interactions, and how does that affect um, you know, decisions to shoot uh, with police officers and Um, issues like that. Well, the the first thing that's important to understand, and one of the sort of common myths and misconceptions about implicit bias is that even if a person has, let's say, sort of a strong negative implicit bias toward a member of a group that they don't, they themselves affiliate or associate with, that does not in and of itself cause them to behave in like a prejudiced or discriminatory manner, okay? So what's is important to understand is that implicit bias has potential for leading to discrimination, but it doesn't always do so. And there's a lot of sort of mitigating factors that affect those relationships. So what the research sort of generally shows is that when persons have sort of strong negative implicit biases toward various groups, they're more inclined to engage in what we would call sort of indirect behaviors and very subtle nonverbal forms of behavior that actually can lead to discrimination. So for example, um, if you're in like a hiring situation and you show sort of a strong bias against a person of a different ethnicity or gender, and as you're evaluating applicants, you might be more inclined to actually spend more time on applicants that you perceive as being more similar to yourself than differing. Okay, so this actually relates to things like um, some of the research in my field on decision to shoot, right, in, in emergency situations and otherwise. So the research is very limited, um, largely because 
there just hasn't been a whole lot of funding for this kind of research. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always have to caveat it with that. But what the available research does show is that even among law enforcement officials, so actual police officers who've been working in law enforcement for a variety of years, um, they are not necessarily more likely to actually shoot a person of a different race or ethnicity or gender, but they are more likely to react faster in their decision to shoot. So, so far the available data doesn't actually show big disparities in sort of errors in decisions to shoot, mm -hmm. but it does show big disparities in reaction times to decision to shoot that do vary by race, ethnicity, and other factors. That's really interesting. Um, what further research do you think we need um, to kind of explore this issue in more depth? Well, I think that, first of all, scientists need more funding to do this research, right? So, so they need the sort of incentive, if you will, to actually fund um, what it takes to do this kind of research. But there's also a, another very real barrier that it involves actually getting law enforcement officials and others, that is, populations other than like college students, mm -hmm. to participate in this research and not be um, afraid of the consequences of the findings of that research. When, when the science is done well. Is there anything else you want to quickly add um, just about your research on these issues or your, um, some of the things that you thought were interesting? Well, just that what I, what I think is sort of important from a scientific perspective is to really understand the strengths and the limitations of the available science on these topics. So I think that in, in many respects, the science is still um, not quite in its infancy. I would say more like late adolescence, mm -hmm. young adulthood. Um, but there's clearly areas where more research is needed so that scientists can actually make firmer conclusions and claims that should be used to directly inform policy. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today, but I appreciate you for being here and sharing your insight with us. That concludes this episode of Office Hours. If you would like to check out more content from the forum, make sure to follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to check out our website, wcforummedia.com.